Hi, this is Anthony Seitzma again on Meet an African Pastor podcast. And this morning, it's really exciting that I'm with my colleague, Kaka. He's from Kenya. He works with me and uh, with Resonate Global Mission. And we do a lot of work together, actually, because we're both involved in a program called Timothy Leadership Training. But today, we're not going to talk about Timothy Leadership Training, really. We want to hear from Kaka about his church and what his life is like as a pastor in Kenya. So welcome, Kaka. Could you share about yourself, where you're from? Uh, tell us about your family. Thank, thank you, uh, Anthony, for inviting me to the podcast. Uh, my name is uh, Jared Bosire. I am ordained minister of the gospel with a Baptist church in Kenya. Um, I was born and bred in Nairobi. Uh, I'm 49 years old, almost turning 15 January. Uh, I grew up uh, in a family of six. I'm the eldest. Uh, I have five brothers and one sister. Uh, my youngest brother is just turned 40 uh, a, few, um, a few weeks ago. Uh, I am married uh, to Irene for the last 18 years, and God has blessed us with uh, three children. Uh, I have two daughters and a son. Abigail is 16, Rebecca 12, and Daniel 9. Uh, I serve with the Baptist Church in uh, one of the suburbs of the city uh, in Nairobi called Umoja 1, which is in the outskirts of the, of the city. Uh, I also grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist up to my teens. Uh, but when I went to high school, um, I got an opportunity to attend the school service and the Christian Union meetings. And uh, at the age of 17, in my fourth year in high school, I gave my life to Christ. And ever since, I have not turned back. And uh, actually, I started serving in ministry at the age of 18, after I just finished high school. I didn't go to college direct, I went to college later. Uh, so I've been serving in various, I've served in various departments in, in uh, different churches until when God called me up to become a pastor. And I thank God for the opportunity to serve in God's vineyard. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, maybe tell us a little bit more about your church. I know that Nairobi is one of the biggest cities in Africa, but you said you're on the outskirts. So uh, for people listening, what, is, what does that look like? What are, what are the suburbs of Nairobi like and, and how does your church fit in there? Uh, okay, uh, our church is located, I said, in uh, one of the outskirts of the city. Uh, we call it the Nairobi Eastlands, the eastern side of the city, where we have um, mostly the middle class to the poor. Uh, the western side of the city has uh, uh, some of the wealthy uh, people and the southern, city, uh, southern part. But in the Eastlands, we have people who are middle class, uh, people who are struggling, people who are doing a lot of menial jobs, um, that is uh, pretty much the kind of population we are having. But in our church, we have more uh, of people who are not uh, very well employed, 
uh, people who are not able sometimes to take care of their families in terms of uh, food, in terms of shelter, in terms of school fees. So it is a struggling uh, group uh, of people. Only a few are well-to-do. We can say they are able to meet uh, the obligations uh, to their families. That's the kind of church that I'm okay. talking about. Yeah, thank you for that. We'll come back to looking more about your church later. Um, but just for fun, as we get to know you, um, maybe you could tell us what is your favorite book of the Bible and why it's your favorite. Yeah, um, I remember somebody asking me this question another time. And uh, my favorite book of the Bible is a book of James that was written by the Apostle James, which is why, why I like it is a, it's a book that is addressing people who already know Christ, believers, and it is about practical Christian living, uh, where we have to combine our faith with works, not the other way. No, there are people who teach about works only, but um, the book of James uh, points out that our faith without works is dead. So the book continues to outline people how they need to live their lives, how they need to understand what they're going through, uh, because uh, uh, James reminds believers that um, tribulations and the trials are part of a, a Christian's life, and then there's a reason for that. He goes to talk about uh, trials, talks about temptations, talks about um, uh, authentic Christianity, talks about our tongue, talks about how we need to treat people, talks about prayer at some point. Uh, and, and, and I think uh, those are some, some of the basic uh, uh, issues that uh, Christians uh, uh, need to know uh, for their Christianity to be authentic, even for the world to be able to see that actually they have a faith in a God in heaven. Yes. Great. I love, I love that. Um, tell us a bit about what a typical week looks like for you as a pastor. What kind of things do you do and what are the things that excite you throughout the week and what are the, the challenges throughout the week? Um, for the last, for the last uh, five years, I have served as an, as an, as an associate pastor. Uh, I no longer serve as a full-time minister because I work a full-time job of leadership development with Christian Reformed World Missions Kenya. But um, I would like to say this typically uh, for me, even even, even though I'm not a full-time minister, there's a lot of stuff that I have to do uh, in the week uh, in terms of ministry. Uh, when I am not at work or doing my assignments with Christian Reformed World Missions Kenya, uh, one of the things I do in, in the week is I visit with the, some church members, mostly in the evenings after work. Uh, I, I pray with some of them. Uh, in this area where our church is located, as I said earlier, uh, some people are really struggling uh, to meet uh, family obligations. Sometimes you have to see how people are going. Their people have lost their job through uh, this COVID-19 pandemic. Sometimes you have to go visit. Sometimes you have to carry some foodstuffs to them. And uh, like on a Wednesday, we have a prayer meeting in the evening for all the church members who are able to attend. Uh, sometimes we have uh, night vigils on Fridays. Uh, and Saturdays is my visitation day because most of the time in the week I'm working. And for most of the people who are employed, they are only available uh, mostly Saturdays afternoon and Sunday afternoon. 
So mostly uh, ministry to church members is done weekdays in the evening, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday after the service. That is when we do counseling, where those people need prayer, uh, and, that kind, uh, and that kind of a thing. Uh, I do a minimum of uh, two pastoral visits per week in the evening. Uh, and then I also do, as I said, counseling with church members in the evening. Sometimes I'm also, I also have a, a meeting with a, a young man I'm mentoring into the pastoral. Uh, we meet once a week. Um, and, and, and that is uh, what I normally do. And on Sunday, we have three services. We have a youth service running from 8.30 to 9.30. Then we have our first and second service that run uh, one after the other. Uh, and sometimes you have to minister in the three of them. So sometimes this is th- so in, in between the week, I also do a lot of planning, reading, and preparing for the uh, Sunday service, uh, especially when I am preaching. Even when I'm not preaching uh, the following week or a week after, I still have to prepare for the other week. So I'm always constantly reading uh, and, um, and preparing to minister. I type my, my points, my sermons away and store them in my computer. Uh, and I keep revising them even before the, the particular day. So uh, even as I work, I'm also uh, sensitive about the ministry that God has called me to and the church that I'm supposed to serve. You're doing a lot every week, and uh, I know that uh, you're also working on a PhD program. So I'm wondering how, with all all of that going on, how do you find a time to rest? Uh, Or or do do you have time to rest? Let me ask that. Yeah, yes, I do. For example, on Saturday, I don't plan for anything until the afternoon. So most Saturdays, um, I rest. I rest the whole morning. Uh, because most of the time if I have to visit people starts around three or four in the afternoon. So most of the Saturday morning, I'm resting. I have time with my son, even in the evening. Uh, even when I go out again with the curfew, you can't stay out for long. So I'll, I'm always home uh, for devotion with my family. We have dinner together uh, by around seven, eight. Uh, I work for on my PhD uh, mostly after my son has gone to bed. My two daughters are in boarding school. So they, I have to be with my son as he does his homework, as he takes his dinner, we pray, I tuck him in. Then I can be able to uh, sit with the, my work, PhD work, but not every day. Uh, I do it like twice a week. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that you do get to rest. That's, that is good. Uh, when when you're resting, uh, what kinds of things do you like to do for fun, for leisure? I you mentioned spending time with your children. Are there other other things that you like to do? What we would say for fun, uh, for enjoyment. Yeah, um, when I'm resting, sometimes I read. Sometimes I watch a movie. The only problem is that my wife doesn't watch movies. I'm the only one who watches. Okay. So I watch a movie, but sometimes when my wife maybe has gone to some women meetings or something, but when she, she's around, I don't watch a movie. We talk. Sometimes we drive uh, with, the, with the boy uh, together with my wife. Sometimes you can go and have some lunch somewhere out and then come back. When all the children are there, uh, that Saturday is dedicated to them. I don't watch a movie. We just talk. We just sit around. 
sometimes we we play games with them like uh, Scrabble. Sometimes we do um, there's some Kenyan games you may not know uh, them, but they, we always have an activity together with them. Uh, that's what I normally do. And sometimes I listen to music. I love music. I used to be a musician some time ago, uh, so I love good music. So I just listen to music uh, if I'm not reading. Yeah. So I'm I'm just a little curious. Permit me this really quick question uh, on the movies. Do you like movies like uh, made in Kenya or ones from Nigeria? You know, those are pretty popular in Uganda here. Or do you like ones from North America? What what kind do you like? Um, I like movies that are based on true stories. I like biographies. Uh, one thing I don't like, uh, like the Nigerian movies and some, some of the, North, I watch some uh, Hollywood, uh, uh, some North American movies, but I don't like movies that are very obvious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. That from the beginning, you can know how it is going to end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like something that is uh, intriguing, something that has a lot of suspense, something that is like a, like a reading a physics book, but I don't watch science fiction. Yeah. Uh, I like good mm. stories that you cannot tell the end. And sometimes I watch one or two series yeah, that have a good storyline, uh, but once in a while. Yeah. But I don't like something that I have to keep following. Mm. So I just watch a movie that if I sit down and watch it, it ends. Yeah. And, and you mentioned you play an instrument. Uh, what, what instrument? do you play i'm in the 90s and part of the 2000s I, I i was a professional drummer attached to music recording studios so i'm a professional drummer that's right we yeah i, I forgot i forgot we had talked about that before i'm also a drummer it'd be really fun to get together sometime with like two drum yes. sets and play together that's okay. great um tell us about uh your preaching um what are if you think back to some of your sermons the last few months, what kinds of passages were you looking at or what kinds of topics were you preaching about? Um, last, the last few months, I've been talking about uh, returning to intimacy with Christ. Um, I talked about worship. I talked about returning to intimacy been pre preaching again from the book of James, chapter 4, Hebrews, chapter 10. Um, and then I've been doing a series on, uh, on Revelation, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, uh, where our theme for this year was proclaiming the worthiness of Christ. And we really wanted to, people to understand the enthroned, how Christ is being enthroned, how he was enthroned. You know, you know the, the, the vision of... Um, Apostle John, in, in chapter 4, especially I dealt a lot on chapter 4 and chapter 5, the chapter 4, the preparation of the enthronement of, uh, of Christ, and then chapter 5, the actual enthronement of Christ on the throne. Uh, so that is what I was uh, dealing with. And then I also talked about Hebrews chapter 1, the worthiness of Christ, uh, because uh, you cannot proclaim uh, after understanding uh, what is being talked about uh, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, then I moved to Hebrews 1, where we are talking about uh, why Christ is worthy of, uh, to, to, be, to be worshipped. 
So uh, that, that, those are things I've been talking about in the last uh, few. Actually, I do a lot of uh, sermons on series. But most of my series last not less than four weeks. So it takes quite some time to exhaust a topic. I love teaching. So one, one of the things I love uh, is, is, uh, is, um, is being able to exhaust a topic in, in a way that people will be able to understand. I'm not a preacher of the spectacular, of, of shouting and uh, jumping all over the place to excite people. I want people to grow deep. So I take some time to expound on the word. Yes. Mm, yeah. And I, I've seen online, I think some of your sermons um, posted online. Was that something that you started to do during the time of COVID or was your church recording services even before COVID? Uh, I started during COVID. I would start, I, I started uh, uh, doing sermons online, not for my church per se, but for anybody who was on my Facebook, uh, who is a friend on Facebook, if you notice the, the first few, uh, the first few sermons were not very clear uh, because I had a problem of a network, um, strong, uh, I didn't have strong Wi-Fi. Again, the, I was using my phone and then I didn't have a good phone. So it is not very clear. So I did that. And then some friends encouraged me. So even after our churches were open and we went back to church, I continued doing that. It's not, it's a personal initiative. Uh, uh, and I discovered sometimes it's good to have a record. Uh, I'm trying to develop uh, a record on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel where I, I put all those uh, messages. Sometimes I, I send a, a link to my Facebook page or to or even some other groups for pastors groups that I'm, I am on on Facebook for people to be able to uh, get uh, the word. Uh, so it's not a church initiative, it's a personal initiative. Okay, but uh, that's good. I think if you can give me the link, I can include it um, with the description of this podcast so that people okay. that are listening to the podcast, maybe they can um, look those up and, and, and hear some. Let's switch topics a bit to back to your church in Nairobi. Um, yeah. Share a little bit about your church's ministry in the community and um, what are some of the challenges and and also how have you seen God work? How have you seen God use the people of your church to to reach out to uh, to others in your city? Yeah, um, it is, as I said earlier, the part of the city where we are uh, has a lot of challenges. And one of those challenges is poverty. One of the things I've, I've been uh, talking in our church is about having authentic faith that is spoken about in the book of James, where we are expressly told that uh, if you want to have a good faith, we need, to bow, we need to take care of widows and orphans. And one of the things that have encouraged our church is periodically we have uh, uh, a bank, uh, a food bank, uh, where people bring in uh, foodstuffs, we have where people can bring in clothes. Sometimes we visit people in their homes, those who've lost their jobs. There sometimes people are sick, they can't work. We support them with food. Uh, sometimes um, their children who are not able to go to school. We talk to a few people who can contribute some money. 
uh, so that we can try and keep the, the children in school, sometimes even to buy some textbooks for them. Um, sometimes uh, our members visit children orphanages. Uh, we have quite a number in our region. Uh, there are so many where children are suffering. Sometimes you go there, they don't even have food. They, they, they depend on well-wishers uh, to get their meal for that particular day. So that is how sometimes we, we have ministered in the community and people have really understood that it is our, the role of the church to minister to the community. Because uh, the three things why uh, Christ instituted the church is to worship God, serve one another and serve the community. So you get sometimes in most churches, worshiping God is done excellently. Uh, serving one another, so-so, uh, because that again goes with how you know each other. Uh, and then the, the community has been left out. So we, I have been teaching that we don't only need to do uh, evangelism in the community, but we also need to serve people. Uh, to, as we meet the spiritual needs of the community, we must start by uh, meeting their physical needs. And most of that in our community is poverty, uh, food, clothing, uh, and sometimes uh, shelter, but uh, uh, the church has not gone that direction on, sh on shelter because it might be very expensive. The church may not be able to afford to pay rent for people, but at least food once in a while, uh, we are able to do that and, and people collect some clothes. So we give them to those uh, less unfortunate people. And also we sometimes we support other churches that are doing evangelism uh, because we have a team of trained people who do evangelism. And that is one of the areas that we support. And again, discipleship. We have trained our members on how to follow uh, people who have given their life to Christ, uh, people who are young believers within our community, uh, especially our church, so that uh, the pastors don't have a lot of work. So we, we, that's how we do it. Yeah. Those, those evangelists that you're supporting, is that within Nairobi, or do you also have evangelists or missionaries that are sent to other other countries or other regions of Kenya? No, or maybe once in a while we can get like a, a group of women going to visit a church maybe out of the city. Uh, there's a time we had a group of ladies going to Turkana. There's a time we had a group of men going to a place called Moranga. Another time we had a group of men, like this Sunday, we had a group of men going to support a church in Nyeri. Nyeri is uh, like three hours drive from Nairobi. Uh, you know, Trukana is on the north, the farthest north of the country. Uh, those ones are one, one offs, one offs, but it, because they have to be organized because there's a lot of uh, finances required. But we don't have specifically that we have sent somebody into another region to stay there because the church may not be able to sustain that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Good. It's it's wonderful to hear about how your church is reaching out to the community. That's beautiful. Um, let me switch uh, topics again here. I'm interested to hear more about your PhD program, um, the specific topic that you're studying. Do you want to just share a couple minutes about that for the for our listeners to hear um, oh, okay. what you're planning to write about? Um. I am doing a, a, a doctoral, my doctoral studies on the topic of peace and conflict. Um, I'm really interested in uh, participating in reconciling uh, families uh, and bring and uniting communities 
that is one of my uh, my my visions uh, for my the future things I want to do as part of my ministry. Um, I I am doing a research on how the church. I'm writing on how the church can be involved in in post conflict the in the, the pre and post conflict peace building in our country, especially. I'm looking at Nairobi because which is normally during elections, that is normally the epicenter of, of, of a lot of conflict and uh, killing and fighting and everything. So I want to see how the church comes in because uh, over the years, the church has been accused of abating uh, conflict because churches take sides. You know, our country is very polarized uh, on tribal uh, grounds uh, and it depends uh, if the pastor in a particular region uh, has a, a, pass, a, a candidate from their own tribe, they support that person, they pray for them, they pour oil on them, and then they allow them to come to the pulpits and start abusing other communities and those kind of things. So I want, I, I want to show that the church, because the church has the influence in community, the way the church can be used to bring peace, even to sensitize people before elections, because our conflicts mostly uh, just before election, like right now, there's elections going on, uh, campaigning has already begun, and there's a lot of conflict uh, skirmishes here and there, uh, and sometimes they escalate towards, especially elections is next year in August, maybe it's a few months to there, they will see a lot of skirmishes and all that. So how I'm, I'm writing on how the church can be able to be used, to be able to mitigate some of those issues before they happen, or if they happen, what can the church do after? The elections because people are normally divided in the mid. The country is normally divided in the middle every time we have an election. So the church is a very uh, good body because she has influence over almost ninety percent of the people, uh, the populations in the country. So that is what I, I'm trying to prove uh, through my thesis, uh, which I'm I'm working on the proposal right now to present next month uh, that the church is actually a key. Uh, a key cog in the wheel for reconciliation and bringing peace. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, when wh what year was that that th there was the last big time of violence in Kenya over elections? We've had quite uh, several elections. Ninety two, ninety seven were were, but the the worst was two thousand and seven elections. Mm. The skirmishes ran from December to around March, the following year of two thousand and eight. Uh, and that one has really is an eye opener because then the church took sides and the church was really blamed for what really happened at that particular point. That's why my, I'm thinking about how can we use the church, which is a voice of reason. The church we preach about Christ who is a prince of peace. How can we translate that into the community? So that is why I'm very interested in that topic. So it was partially your experience back in 2007 and 8 that made you interested in this, in this yes. area? Yes, I was living in a place that was uh, predominantly, uh, okay, we had two sides. Uh, we had those that were supporting the incumbent uh, president and uh, there are those who are supporting the opposition leader. But I becoming like one of the tribes that are, were more prone. I'm not saying that because I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about now the Kenyan community. I was considered an outsider in that area because they believed that if you're not of that particular tribe, you are all, all going to support 
the other uh, the other group so our doors were marked um, uh, they we were they planned to attack us uh, and actually we suffered like for a few days there was a time that we couldn't even get uh, even milk for the baby my firstborn was around uh, 2 years old then uh, now she's 16 uh, i couldn't get even food i remember going to to the market to buy some beef and the guy tells me there is no beef he looks at me in the face and i can see it hanging there then i ask him but this is beef he says no go and ask the opposition leader to sell you beef so because they looked at my face i was not one of them and and but thank god they were able to reconcile the opposition leader and the incumbent uh, actually the night before they reconciled our doors we woke up in the morning they were marked with red red paint which means they were they were marking the doors of the people that were going to come and attack and you couldn't move you couldn't go anywhere uh, but after that that's when i moved i came to this other side of the east eastern side of the city we have predominantly almost all tribes represented so you are much more safe in this area than those other areas and so that is what prompted me to take this interest yeah and you said that the churches did not always respond well can can you share more about that the the positive ways that some churches responded or or the negative ways that other churches responded during okay. that time um i can say like um, i can start with the negative there are some churches that would call the, those uh, the presidential candidates to their churches and then they would anoint them they would give prophetic words they would uh, make them kneel down and pray for them that the lord has spoken that they are the ones who are going. So sometimes you get like rivaling churches, depending on the tribe of the senior pastor or the bishop, uh, they would pray for somebody of their tribe. And then they would allow them in the church to abuse people of the other. So you would get even in a church, people were divided in the middle because definitely everybody who is a member of the church where I minister may not support the presidential candidate I would like to support. So and some pa pastors and bishops made it so open of, because you know election is supposed to be a secret ballot but they made it so open and then they allowed those uh, preachers to come to their churches and abuse people and and all that even some churches lost members during that time because of that but when we come to the uh, uh, positive i remember the church where i used to be then was one of the big churches that had almost uh, over 2000 members we sat down as a pastoral team and agreed that no politician is going to come to church and be given the pulpit to say anything. We agree that if they come to church, uh, they will sit down like everybody else, attend service, and if they want to address anyone, they go and address on the roadside outside the church. And I think that one helped our church uh, to do that. Even some other churches followed that system. And then after the elections, when things were so bad, uh, some churches came together and they decided to minister to the, to the internally displaced people. They were called the IDPs. Uh, some churches uh, fed them, some churches housed them, some churches gave them a, a, like sort of like a protection. Uh, some Christians took members who were being attacked and hid them in their homes uh, to safeguard them from uh, being killed and those kind of things. So that's why if the church wants, the church can have a system and again, the churches decided again to come back together when they realized their mistake and decided to speak to the political system. So that, that is the negative and the positive. Uh, and I think the church has more positives if they can come together uh, ecumeni ecumenically and, and, and be able to speak to politics. 
like recently, uh, last week, uh, one of the, the Anglican uh, archbishop uh, announced that there is no politician who will be given pulpit in any of their churches to speak to the people uh, in the church. They need to uh, hold the pulpit as a sacred place. And I think uh, that is the kind of things that I would like to see going forward. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that in the news also. I found that very encouraging. I, a lot of the local pastors in Uganda deal with the same thing. And they want to say no to the politicians speaking, but mm. it's hard to to do that. But when the top leadership makes that kind of announcement that we're no longer going to do this, then it, it backs them up so that they have the the ability to to say no. Um, I'm just <laughs> thinking about the people listening um, to this, and in. In the United States, at least, um, you're, you're probably aware from watching the news that we have had a lot of political division and even division within churches over politics. So I'm just wondering, do you have any advice um, from what, what the church has learned in Kenya about these issues that we've been talking about with the politics? What, what has the church what have churches learned in Kenya that might help Americans as they're wrestling with, they're not the same issues, but at least they're um, somewhat related. Um, what lessons can you share that might, might help them for the, for yeah, the Christ uh, Christians in the US? Yeah, I, I think uh, there's one thing that we are really talking about. And again, this uh, comes again to my best book, the book of James, where we are, told to stop being to to favor to not to be uh, uh, to to favor others over others we need to treat people equally and and i think in kenya our biggest problem is tribalism and corruption but in the us your biggest problem is uh, racialism and i think racialism and tribalism are almost the same it's only that uh, uh, in africa we don't talk about races we talk about tribes um, and and uh, one of the things that we need to talk about even in church, which like, for example, myself, I'm talking about is uh, inclusivity. We need to include everybody. We need to see everybody as an important part of the community where we are. We cannot look at other people as outsiders, that we are much more better than them. And I think those are some of the things uh, the world over we need to be able. If you go to America, there was the issue of white supremacist versus the uh, the immigrants or versus the, 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 the African-Americans and all those kind of things. We need to see that all of us are created in the image of God. So there's nobody that is higher than the other one in whatever sense. Even if you have more money than somebody else, does not make you better than that person. So I think the biggest thing is uh, we need to, to love one another and to also be able to include one another for peace to be able to prevail. When we see people for who they are, but not what they are, then we will be able to forge a united country or united communities that are able to work together for the betterment of the whole society. Yeah. Amen to that. Have you seen um, some positive change in Kenya on, on those issues where churches have become inclusive with people of many different tribes and even different economic levels all worshiping together and caring for each other in the same church? Are you seeing that in churches around? 
Yeah, it's it's always there, mostly. What normally brings problem is when we come to an election period. That's when that's when everybody remembers their tribe. That's when everybody remembers that it is our time now. You know, people forget that the same same people sometimes that have been serving together, they start looking at each other as enemies. And, and those are some of the things that we really need to deal with. In the cities, it's not that bad because uh, the, like for example, in Nairobi is a is a, a cosmopolitan place. But if you go to the other cities and other towns, you will discover that sometimes an area is predominantly a particular tribe. So you'd go there, you'd find a, a pastor from a particular tribe, all the assistant pastors, all the church deacons, all the church elders, all the departmental leaders from the same tribe. So the other people are considered outsiders. So sometimes, and even you, you will notice, even in Nairobi, there are some churches that uh, they choose who to support when they have a problem and who not to support. Again, the, the issue of the tribal thing comes in. But, uh, but all in all, uh, mostly people are, getting to, uh, people are getting to include others. Uh, for example, I have made it a choice as a minister that I will never ever serve in a church where it is predominantly uh, of my tribe. I will never ever take a position there. Uh, one, I can't speak my mother tongue fluently. So again, that one sometimes can even make you be sidelines because they may think you are, you are boasting. You know, some of us were born and brought up in the city, so we do not understand mother tongue so well. So uh, they, I, may, I prefer to preach in, in, in English. But if you look at my, my online sermons, I mix English and Kiswahili because of the community that we have. Not, not all of them can, can understand, comprehend English 100%. And Kiswahili 100%. So I have to keep mixing as I preach, uh, as I preach, so that uh, I don't leave anybody behind. I, we don't have a predominantly English service in our area. Again, even if I wanted to preach in English and then have an interpreter, I don't have somebody who can interpret for me. So it becomes that hard. So um, I, I think that is uh, one, one of the things that I would like to say about that question. Yeah, thank you. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time here, so we need to, to wrap up, but I wanted to give you a chance to give any kind of encouragement you want to give to North American churches, uh, if there's anything brief you want to share with them. And then uh, after that encouragement, uh, just share how the listeners can pray for you or your church, and then we'll end there. Yeah, an encouragement for the North American church. This is a tough one, but I will try. Thank you. Uh, one of uh, the things, because one, I have never been to North America, but uh, from my readings, from my research, uh, it's a, a country, it's a, it's a region that is endowed with, endowed with a lot of natural resources um, and ministry. There's a possibility that ministry can be done well uh, because there are, there are enough resources to be able to do ministry, unlike uh, our part of the South. Um, in North America, I hear that, uh, I don't know the truth, that churches are not doing very well, uh, that the population in churches is dwindling. People are moving more and more away from the church than towards the church. Uh, but uh, I, I my encouragement to the North American church is, let us intensify evangelism, reaching out, 
to people within our communities, uh, like on a one-on-one, and we start with friendship evangelism because uh, there are systems. I hear some areas people are not friendly at all. You don't even know your neighbor. You know, the best way to be able to share Christ is by first becoming a friend to your neighbor. And that one opens up a door for you for ministry. And then when once you care for one, because we are told to care for one another. So the only way we can be able to do that is to reach out. Uh, but when we become very individualistic, even in church, we will not even be able to, uh, to meet others. And I like also to talk about inclusivity. Let us look at each person as a person created in the image of God. It does not really matter the color of our skin. It does not really matter where somebody comes from because America is a country full of immigrants from all parts of the world. Let us embrace one another. Let us worship together because all of us will give an account to God. Same God and same people. And also to just briefly say on how I would like the North American church to pray for us. One of the things is we, we need a lot of resources, especially uh, for, the, for the kind of churches that some of us minister. We are not able, we have so much plans to, uh, we have so much we want to do, but we are not able to do. Just pray for an open heaven that God will be able to give us resources so that when we come to, we, when we want to meet the needs of the people in the community, when we want to serve them, we have resources that can be able to propel us to do the things that we'd like to do, even just within our own churches. So before, even before we go out to the community and also pray for us. One of the things that I think about African churches, there's a lot of, a lot of heretical teachings going around. There are a lot of fake preachers all over the place with fancy titles, but saying nothing that can be able to help someone. Just pray that God will raise a generation that is dedicated to the proper ministry and to divide the right word uh, so that the people of God can be built up so that they can be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you so much for those encouragements. I know people will appreciate them. This has been a wonderful conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope that uh, those of you listening will have learned something that you can take to uh, our North American churches also for, for transformation there. So thank you so much for your time, Kaka. It's been a pleasure. Thank you too for inviting me.